to That's Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing through sharing to help you create a happier life. Tyra Lane Kingsley, y'all, is crazy. <laughs> she is no stranger <laughs> to inspiring hearts. She's a sought-after speaker, blogger, coach, and author of the book Purposeful Parenting. She's an attentive wife and mother of, get this, six. Six kids, all under the age, 15 and under. True. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. We're going to get into that. Having endured a tumultuous childhood, though, with an alcoholic and a crack-addicted mom, today she is walking in victory. Tyra knows firsthand how God trades beauty for ashes, joy for pain, and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Knowing that God causes all things to work together for good, Tyra is a health and wellness coach on a passionate pursuit to see women inspired to live Philly. How she has time to do anything other than run kids back and forth, I have no idea. 15 is the oldest. Yes, ma'am. Okay, count me down. Okay. Okay, so I've got a daughter that's 15, uh -huh. a son that's 13, a daughter that's 10, a son that's eight, another son that's six, and a son that just turned three. You got it. There is, how are you? And, and all of these are your birth children. Yes, all of them have been birthed by me. In fact, the last three were home births, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna start at the top of this life of hers. And then eventually we're gonna start with your childhood yes. and mom, and mm -hmm. then we will, Turn it out with the three-year-old. Okay, sounds like a plan. Now you grew up in Boston. I did, I grew up in Boston. And what was that like? What was that like? Um, well, you know, when I think back on my childhood, I actually think on it quite fondly. Okay. I did grow up in a housing project. And if anyone has ever seen the movie New Jack City, okay. it like depicts how the drug epidemic really took mm. over inner cities. And that's exactly what my housing project was like. It was like a snippet right out of the movie, New Jack City, you know, like crack vials in the playground, yeah. no grass, like really, mm -hmm. that was my mm -hmm. life. But when I think about it overall, there was so much joy. I mean, we were in abject poverty, but as children, we were joyous, we yes. had fun, we stayed out late, we played, we made up games, we were creative. You didn't know you were poor until you look back on it. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, Growing up in Boston, it was it was interesting, but when I look back, most of the memories are fond ones. So when you look back and you think your mom was an addict, mm -hmm. what is the first time as a child you looked at her and said, okay, wait a minute, something's not right here? Mm. Probably one of the first times that I actually saw my mother and some of her cousins actually doing drugs. Okay. So I witnessed that with my own eyes. Okay. Um, my mother tried to shield me from that, mm -hmm. you know, and my mother was kind of from the persuasion that children like stay in a child's place. Right. So when I was supposed to be in my room, I was supposed to be in my room. But there was a time when I came out of my room when I was not supposed to, and I walked upon this scene and I knew something wasn't right. But it wasn't just my mother. Again, it was the community that we lived in. Okay. And so I was somewhat familiar with drugs. Of course, in school, you know, that was the beginning of the whole um, 
kind of like drug campaigns and teaching children to stay away from drugs. And so I knew that something was amiss. So your mom was very protective of you and she thought you were tucked away in your room. Mm-hmm. Being, because <laughs> children were meant to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. But she thought that you were tucked away in your room and you saw she and her cousins. What did you think at that time as a child? I think the child me was just kind of sad, like, mommy, why are you doing this? I remember even my mother was a, um, a cigarette smoker and I've always been a person who's kind of like a role follower, um, always kind of err toward the side of doing the right thing. Okay. So even with the smoking cigarettes, like, mommy, how could you do that? You know, your lungs are turning black. Um, and she said? Girl, I'm fine, leave me alone. <laughs> mind your little business but I had a sweet mama she mm -hmm. was my mama was sweet mm -hmm. and my mama loved me um, so but so I was kind of sad like okay. mommy why would you why would you want to do this to yourself I don't know that I expressed that to her at mm -hmm. that time but just a little bit of sadness that she was doing this to herself I don't think that I was even really concerned about about me because me and a lot of my friends we took care of ourselves you know yeah. what I mean the kids just kind of did what they did. We fed ourselves. We were out late. We just did what we wanted to do. Um, and we liked kind of that freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, but I was more concerned about why would she do this to herself. Did you ever learn anything about your mom that answered that question for you? In hindsight, not really. Okay. Um, when I think about it, my mother had a very passive temperament. Yeah. Um, so she was very sweet, um, a little bit quiet, a little bit meek. And I think that she just fell into some of the wrong crowd. Okay. So she just might have got caught up in what was going on in, in kind of like that late 70s yeah, party in the, in scene. In the group behavior, going along it, to get yeah, along. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then in the 80s when the crack epidemic hit, I think it just caught her up in the whirlwind. So what's your I guess what's your most, what's your favorite memory of your mom? I have so many, I have so many. She's my sweet girl. Um, my mother liked to give parties. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember two very distinct parties that she gave. Okay. One was a Christmas party and one was a Halloween party. And when she did a party, she did a party big. I mean, decorations, food. And mind you, this is all in ah. our teeny teeny um, housing project mm -hmm. apartment. Mm -hmm. But she went all the way out, full costume, um, for the Halloween party. So the Halloween parties and the Christmas parties are two of my fondest memories. And then also, my mother did eventually get clean. So one Christmas that she was, that she was clean, mm -hmm. I was a teenager, mm -hmm. and I do have a younger sister. My younger sister is um, 11 years younger than I am. And so this was like our first Christmas all back together. And we were, my mother was staying in this rooming house. So we were literally like in this one room. Okay. My mother bought us all these Christmas gifts. We went down to this shared kitchen. It was a rooming house full of mostly men. We went down though to the shared kitchen. We baked cookies and it was one of my most fond Christmases ever. In the rooming house? In the rooming house, yep. Family is as family does. Yes. Because love is where the heart is. Exactly, and that's what it was. Lots of love, my sister myself and my mom. Once you were at HU, bigger, I guess 
Big ups to HU. Yes, the real HU, Howard University, Howard my alma mater. Howard University. At Howard University, how did you learn your mom had passed? Mm. So I was so excited to come to Howard University. My best friend and I, we left Boston together and we decided we were gonna attend Howard because we were from the city, so we, we knew we were gonna go to city school. So okay. on my 18th birthday, I came to Howard. I was so excited. Two months into my very first semester at college, my cousin called and she said, your mom is sick, you need to come home. And I'm like, uh, no, I was just home like two weeks ago. My dad's not gonna let me come back home. And she said, no, your mom is sick. You need to come home now. So here I am 500 miles away from home trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. Mm -hmm. So back then, you know, it was like, you didn't have instant access to the internet. So I literally like had to call the bus station, figure mm -hmm. out which bus I was gonna take. Mm -hmm. Um, go to the ATM machine, get money out. In the interim, I found this out later, my cousin had called back and spoke to my roommate and told her my mom had already passed. So I go and take this long bus ride to Boston. The bus had a layover in New York. It was the longest 10 hours of my life. The whole way, I just prayed, God, I know you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't take a mother from an 18-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't take a mother from a seven-year-old girl. You wouldn't take a mother. I had already lost my mother once to the streets. You won't take her from me a second mm -hmm. time. So when I got to Boston, my dad was there. I thought that was peculiar because I hadn't talked to my dad in several days. Um, I had only told one girlfriend that I was coming home. So for my dad to meet me at the bus station, I knew something okay. was amiss. Then he took me to my grandmother's. Why am I going to my grandmother's? And it was when we arrived at my grandmother's house that he had told me that my mom had passed. She had a pulmonary embolism mm. at age 39. Wow. Mm -hmm. So then what happened to you and your sister? So I stayed in Boston for one month to just kind of recover, recoup, grieve. Um, my sister went to the care of a relative, okay. um, and that's a whole nother story because it was a relative that we had previously lived with back when my mother was in the streets. Mm -hmm. This relative basically took us from our mother, and it was like from the frying pan into the fire. Mm -hmm. um, and so my sister was going back into the care of that person, and that devastated me. Um, I did have my father's support, when I was 14, I went to move with my father, so my father and I had a very close relationship. Okay. So my father just supported my transition back to Howard University. <laughs> okay. He, he sat still and let you get yourself together. Mm-hmm. Around third week, fourth week, did he start saying, okay, Tara, are you going back to school? No, no, no. Everybody was extremely loving, mm -hmm. patient, okay. supportive. You know, it was like, whatever you want to do, So how did you make that decision? You. Um, because I knew that that relative that my sister went with, mm -hmm. that that was a no. That was not going to work for our family. We had been in that person's care and custody before. It was a traumatic, abusive mm -hmm. situation. And I knew that I had to get my sister out of there. So my goal was to go back to school, get my degree, and go back and go get my sister. Is that what you did? And that's what I did. <laughs> Look at your face! <laughs> that's my sweet girl. Um, as I said, she is... 11 years my junior, mm -hmm. so in fact, when she was born, my mother was um, addicted to alcohol, 
And so I had been taking care of her from the time I was 11. So she was my baby. So I knew that I would go back for my baby without a doubt. And while I was at Howard, I met who is now my husband. We've been in love for a long time, for 20 something years. And he was always supportive because he has a similar story. But um, with his support and with his love and with his assistance, we got my sister and she came to live with us. Did you have any problems with the court or the fam or the relative? Yes, you your sister? I, I did, not with that particular relative because in the meantime, in between time, that relative was ill, sick, passed away. Mm. And then my sister went to go live with her father and he was doing the best that he could, but that situation was a little yeah. something too. So um, it had always been my goal to get my sister. He did what he could to keep her right. off the street. Yeah. Ex exactly, mm -hmm. he did you know the best that he could with mm -hmm. his wife. Um, but they were also trying to raise their own children and they yeah. had a lot going on. So um, the day after I bought my house, the day after I went to closing, I got in my car and I drove that 500 miles. My husband stayed be behind to buy a bedroom set for my sister to paint the room. Mm -hmm. And I went up there to actually get legal guardianship of her. At what age? Um, you were like she 20, was, you she were was like... 14 and okay. I was 27 maybe. Maybe she went back together. to Howard after being out a month, caught up everything, yes. and didn't miss a beat. Um, I wouldn't say that I, that I didn't miss a beat, right? Because that might lend people to believe that we just automatically get over trauma, and I had had a year's worth. So it was a process. It was an emotional process. Um, it was a trying process. So when you got back to Howard, Break that down for me. What do you mean by process? Okay. So when I got back to Howard, I was very angry. Okay. Um, I was mean. Mm -hmm. I was hurt. I was rebellious. So I was already a teenager, right? I was mm -hmm. only 18. Mm -hmm. But then to have this losing your mother, like, what do you do with that? So I partied. Um, I made a lot of foolish decisions. So it was a, it was a trying time. It was a trying time. But... We did it. It took me six years to get out of there. Um, toward the end, the, the funding was running out, and I had to take like one class at a time in order to finish and in order to be able to pay for it. Okay. But after six and a half years, I was able to complete it. Now this boo of yours, because <laughs> you well, light up every time you yes, even talk about this when boo. I, when I start talking about Mr. Kingsland, yes, I will blush. Okay. Because he's still my boyfriend after all these years. So I, how'd you meet him? I met him on the campus of Howard University, mm -hmm. shortly after my mother died, in fact. and um, During the mean period? Yes, during the mean period. Oh, but, girl, Mr. Kingsley. But I will tell you this, okay. I had on this fly pink linen suit, and he said the linen suit just got his attention, and then the rest was a wrap. But we were friends, um, just friends. You know, we hang out in large groups. He was the perfect gentleman. Okay. And we were friends before, uh, for three years before we even began dating. Okay. And with that, we'll be right back to hear more about Tara's coaching, but also growing up with an addicted parent, does that affect her parenting? And if mm. so, how does she cope? Here's what you miss when you're not in studio with That Anita Live. <laughs> Third chair. <laughs> Last stop on the bus to the first stop on the bus, right? And then you get on the seven train. 
Last stop on the seven train, so the first stop on the seven train, 42nd Street. Then you tramp street, you transfer into the one. Do you want yes. It. <laughs> but then I'd make it up there. Want. Okay, one second. How hard is it to deliver food? Please tell a man to just leave the food at the front there. Because you know I'm at the end of my toilet paper roll, and so I can talk to multi generations. You know, I, I can. Ooh, I think it was when I talked to his wife. Wow! Yes. <laughs> I don't even mention this in a book. No, you didn't. <laughs> Please spill the tea. You know, we did that. Come on! I love to have you in my audience. And we're back with Miss Tyrolene Kingsley talking about the trials, tribulations, and beauty of yes. parenting. Indeed. Growing up with an addicted parent, does that affect your parenting? At first glance, maybe not. And in my mind, maybe not. But when I became a parent, you know, once you're in something, mm -hmm. then the things that are underneath mm -hmm. begin to come out so right what goes in comes out especially right. when you're in the pressure cooker situations of life marriage children mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so becoming a parent just scratches the surface you know and excavates what's underneath so I don't even know that it was so much as having an addicted parent as just the, a lot of my childhood was traumatic not just my situations with my mother but with the relative that I lived with, um, bounced house to house, you know, a lot of just brokenness. Okay. And I thought that I had gone through some stages of healing until I had kids. And what I would find was sometimes my reactions to things they were due were not in line with the offense that was committed. And I would have to ask myself, Tyra, like, why are you ever reacting? Like, why does that make you so upset? You know, this phrase people um, talk about, you know, the cup of spilled milk. Well, really that would like send me over the edge. So I had to say, what is going on inside? Right. And that led me to do a lot of self-examination and some of it was not pleasant and was not easy, but it's led me on this journey to heal myself, to learn more about me so did that I could help the children. Did you do it as self-help or did you go into counseling or therapy? I primarily did it on my own okay. and with my faith. So my faith was a big factor in this whole story. Same with your sister, self-help? <laughs> um, for her or mm -hmm. in my relationship with her? No. I don't even know that my sister has really addressed some of this stuff. Okay. I, don't, I cannot speak okay. to her experience. Now, growing up mm -hmm. in the projects, mm -hmm. having a addicted parent, how did you go to college? Because ah. a lot of people that I know, whether it's middle class or in poverty, say, oh, college is too expensive, that's something I can't do. Mm -hmm. Product, mm -hmm. how did you go to college? So two parts to that story. Um, when I was 14, my father did come and rescue me out of the project situation, okay. right? But even though he physically took me out of the project, I was mm -hmm. still in the project mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. And so um, my father went through this process and he would say, oh, Tyra, you must shake yourself of the project mentality. 
Now, when I was 14, I was offended by that. You know, I didn't understand that. The people in the projects were my people. Right. You know, like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But They ride hard for okay? me. Okay, <laughs> but now I understand that he was talking just about like a poverty mentality, a yeah. lack mentality, okay. a scarcity mentality. So number one was being rescued by my father at 14. But even beyond that, I always loved books. So even though my okay. childhood experience was traumatic, mm -hmm. I was always in the books. And my best friend and I, hey, Kibu! <laughs> so my best friend and I, we've been best friends for 40 years. Okay. And we would get my library card, her library card, and her sister's library card. And we would max out, <laughs> check out the max number of books. So my head was always in the books, even when it? we were in the projects. Um, my dad paid some of the school, mm -hmm. loans paid for some of the school. Hello. <laughs> Cash paid for some of the school. And then... Um, and like you said, you even broke it down and took one class at a time. I had to do because that. Because when there is a will, <laughs> there is a way. Yes, I took one class at a time toward the end because I just did not have the money, but I knew that I was going to stick in there. And at the time, my employer offered tuition reimbursement, mm -hmm. but you have to have the money to pay right, first in order right, to get the money right. back. So um, before he was even my husband, my boyfriend then gave me that initial seed to pay. So now how do you deal with the whole parenting issue, what goes in comes out, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You were overreacting. Mm -hmm. How did you temper that? Mm. Again, my faith, my faith. Okay. So what happened was I had to do a lot of self-reflection, self-examination, and mm -hmm. ask God to show me myself. Where did this come from? Why is this my belief? Mm -hmm. So it really got into me dealing with some of my core beliefs that I'm invisible, I'm unlovable because my own mama didn't pay attention to me. My own mama didn't want me. And so with my children, oh, I'm going to be in control. You're going to see me. You're going to listen to me. You're going to respect me. And it was just so ridiculous, you know, to try to mm -hmm. come at a six-year-old that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm just so grateful to be freed from some of that stuff and, um, and to be where we are today. What's your suggestion to others for them to get free? It begins with self-examination and quiet. We are all so overstimulated. Mm -hmm. People are on social media, <laughs> they're on TV, mm -hmm. even using food to distract from their internal voice. People have to get quiet. They need to turn their plate down, stop eating, okay? To put the plate down, that's distracting you. Uh, turn off the TV, that's distracting you. Okay. Get off social media and listen to yourself. Give me a time. Time period, how long should people? It, it depends on each person's individual journey. The first leg of my journey, it was a three-year process. It was a lot of journals, ink pens, and a, at least a three-year process for me in those initial stages. So I couldn't put a time frame okay. on it, okay. um, but the courage to just walk through the journey however long it takes. When you were going through that period and, and mm. changing internally, transitioning, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where was your boat? He was right there and alongside how, how me. how did he react to or verbalize the change that he saw happening? I don't know that he's ever said it to me directly. Okay. Um, my husband is always um, very liberal in his support for me, mm -hmm. in words of encouragement to me, um, in any type of support that I need, whether it's time, money, whatever Tyra needs. My husband is like my biggest cheerleader. Okay. So he was just right there supporting me. Girl, do what you gotta do. You know, whatever you wanna do, whatever makes Tyra happy. So 
did you change at all? I, I think my friends would probably say, and my husband would probably say that I have changed. Um, my children, I think they've seen a pretty consistent yeah, pattern. By the time they yeah, came along. Yeah, over the time. Um, I, I think my children think, oh, you know, mommy's cool, you know, mommy's understanding. You so know. if I was to talk to your best friend, the yes. friend from that time period at Howard, where you were dealing with the grieving mm -hmm. and making some unhealthy choices, mm -hmm. to now. Hey, Lisa, love you, boo. What would Lisa tell me the differences were? Lisa would probably say that I was hurt, I was angry, mm -hmm. I was loud, I was rambunctious. Mm -hmm. um, but she had been my friend from way back. So she would also tell you that Tyra's leader, that um, Tyra is articulate, that Tyra's headstrong, that Tyra's discipline, that Tyra's focused. So, okay, so Tyra <laughs> was rambunctious. Yeah. And then post the three-year self-awareness journal. Mm-hmm. With that journey, what's Tara like now? She is um, more peaceful, more mm -hmm. mindful, mm -hmm. um, more reflective, okay. um, a lot more patient and less controlling. So control used to be the paradigm from which I operated okay. because my childhood was so out of control. Mm -hmm. Here's what you miss when you're not in studio with That Anita Live. Oh. I don't even mention this in the book. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't At 96th Street, How you transferred to the one. you want yes. it. I ain't Because you know I'm at the end of my toilet paper roll when you talk about seasons and life. I'd rather be good by myself. Please, spill the tea. Come on. I love to have you in my audience. Please, Please tell the man to leave the I will say this. For us to not begrudge parts of our story and pieces of our experience. Say it right okay. there. Okay. I would say for us to not begrudge nor try to shy away from pieces of our experience. Those parts of our experience make us who we are and add to the beauty and the fiber of who we are as people. So my childhood, its highs, its lows, all comprise the person that I am today. And don't begrudge that. So I'm grateful for those experiences and I want people to embrace, to not shy away from them. How do you handle do people shame you or how do you handle situations when people try and shame you for having more than two kids? At the, when I maybe had three, it might have bothered me a little bit, mm -hmm. um, but that third one is now 10, so I'm so over that. I love my tribe. Um, very often I hear this phrase and it's usually used okay. in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Boy, you got your hands full and it comes with a bit of a negative connotation. And so I just turn it to him and I say, you're exactly right. I've got my hands full of love. So if people, you know, don't get it, they throw jabs, I don't know. I use it as an opportunity for them to come into my world and but engage But for the mom out there that's struggling with that guilt, mm. what would you say to her? I would say to her, sister, free yourself. Give mm. yourself permission to stand by who you are and what mm. you're doing for your family. You've made a beautiful contribution to the world. Our world is a hurting place, and if we can raise up responsible world changers, we are adding to the pot, not taking away from it. So we're being <laughs> a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Right.
Right. Tara has provided a number of strategies, tips, techniques on how to achieve optimal wellness, not just physically, but also emotionally, how to nurture the mind, body, and spirit. She's written and facilitated classes on parenting, health, and wellness. Be sure to use Tara's tips to achieve your own optimal health, both emotionally and physically. To reach out to Coach Tyra, find her on Instagram at inspiredfully. We're here for you because I know sometimes you don't want to be fixed. You just want to be heard. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode. <laughs>